and welcome to Delving into Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Steve! This is episode 14. Now let's do a round of how to get in touch with us. Our main protocol is delvingintodraft.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook as Delving into Draft. Our email is delvingintodraft at gmo.com. And finally, I'm on Twitter as ravak underscore R-A-V-A-K underscore. Right, news. Um, the DCI has announced their banned and restricted uh, list changes, uh, which they happen to do, I think, between the pre-release and when a set comes out. So the bannings uh, for this quarter are Bloodbraid Elf and Seeding Song are being banned in Modern. Yay! And in Magic Online Popper, Empty the Warrens, Grape Shot and Invigorate are being banned. Boo! And in all other formats, there are no other changes, so nothing is being unbanned. So, the main reason for Bloodbraid Elf being banned is basically Jund is completely ubiquitous in Modern. It's sort of the gateway into Modern if you want to have a pretty decent deck. And, yeah, Bloodbraid Elf is just making it unfun. Yeah. I think the uh, the Popper Barons are pretty much the same. Storms pretty much the deck you expect to come against if you're playing Popper online. Invigorate is specifically for Infect, because I think that allows you to do turn three wins, which are saying... Oh, yeah. You, they don't want uh, people to be winning on turn three. Like, turn four, fine. Turn three, no, no, no. Um, so, yeah, those are the bannings, and... I guess Jund is going to have to adjust. Um, I think a lot of people have been saying Huntmaster can just be a straight shoe-in, but whatever, we don't care about that. This is limited. So, Right, next point of news. We've just had our Gatecrash pre-release, and already we're getting information about the Dragon Maze pre-release. What? Because apparently, you know, Magic players don't like playing with what they've currently got or the set they're about to get, but the set after that. Because we have fickle attention spans or something? I don't know. Something like that. So, what, what were you saying there, Craig? Oh dear. <laughs> continue, continue. Right. So, um, after the last two pre-releases, we got our choice of five different guilds we could go with, which made sense, saying there are only five different guilds in each of them. So, how many guilds are we going to be able to choose from in Dragon's Maze? So, there's five we just did. Uh huh. And there were five in the previous set. Uh huh. So, my guess would be 10? Yes. Hey! Which I was slightly surprised about. I wouldn't have been terribly surprised if they just went and you're just all getting just like six boosters and there's nothing special and blah de blah But no, apparently, yes, you can pick from all 10 guilds. Uh, What you get is the pre-release pack for the guild you choose. So a bit like we've had in the past two pre-releases where you got a booster which only had cards of your colour and in the watermark. You're going to get that, but without the pre-release foil specifically for the guild. Um, You're also going to get a pre-release pack for a guild in the other set which has a colour which has one of the colours in your guild. So if I picked Izzet, for example, then I would potentially get a booster from Demir... Gruel, Boros, or Cynic. Yeah. Uh, yes, because they, they're the allied colours in the other set. And I get a pre-release pack of them, so again, I'd get a booster just with those cards, but not without the pre-release fall. And then you just get four Dragon Maze booster packs. Yeah, so it's kind of going back to the sort of pre-releases you've, you'll be used to if you've played uh, pre- pre-releases before Ravnica, where you just get the one foil that you don't get to play. Uh, yeah, sorry. So the other thing, um, they're not doing 10 pre-release cards. There's going to be a single pre-release card, and it is not playable in your pre-release deck. 
Yeah. So I don't know whether this is going to be something which is coloured and thus, you know, it's unfair to, like... Well, if they did, like, Ralzark, which they're not going to do, but it would have been unplayable unless you're in Izzet's colours. And it'd be a bit unfair if you're trying to do something, you know, outside of those. So I guess this is probably what they're doing rather than a, uh, like, colourless thing. Because if it was colourless, you could have put it in every deck, but I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're, whatever the promo is, it's not playable in the pre-release deck. So they're going to have, like, the, um, you know, the achievement cards and stickers and all those sort of things. No, pre-release packs are not going to have the dice, they're not going to have a sticker, they're not having a guild welcome letter. Uh, they will still have achievements, potentially, because what they're doing with this, a bit like they did with the Abyssin Restored pre-release, there's something called the Implicit Maze. Ooh. And players can work together uh, with their with other people in their guild, I think, to try to get through the maze. I think... Sorry, I think everyone collaborates to get through the maze, but also the first guild to do, like, complete the maze themselves also gets some sort of bonus. Ah, uh, right. And then when the maze is completed, everybody's going to get a foil basic land card, which, yay. But there wow. are there are other prizes. Are they going to... See, it'd be nice if it was, like, a sort of promo full art foil land or something like that. That would be nice. Um, but I just, doubt it. it. A foil land. Mm. <laughs> wow, thanks. Um, yeah, it says there's prizes for each guild that gets all the way through the maze, special prizes for the first guild that does it, and then when it's completed, all players will receive a foil basic land promo card. So it may have different artwork, it could be full art, but it is a basic land. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, actually, talking about basic land. So... Moving slightly aside from the pre-release, talking about Dragon Maze in particular, Dragon Maze booster packs will not contain a basic land card. What? Does that mean we get more cards, Craig? Do we get do we get fifteen playable cards which aren't land? Um, no. You're gonna get fourteen playable cards that aren't land, and the fifteenth card will still be a land, right. but it's gonna be a non-basic land. Oh. So what we're getting, we've got, we're gonna get. In that spot, instead of seeing Island or Forest, we're going to see the Guild Gates. Ah, so it'll be Guild Gates from across all of Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash, I assume. Yes, so all ten Guild Gates can appear. Um, it's going to have the Dragon Maze expansion symbol on it, if that makes any real difference. However, um, at about half the rate that you see them in normal boosters, the Shocklands can also appear in this 15th slot. Well, so, so you could open Double Shockland? Well, no, because I don't think that the, because sh- the Shocklands oh, are not in the rare spot. I see, because they're not part of that set. I got it. I yeah, got it. but okay. they, but they are in the land slot. So most of the time when you open it, your land's going to be a gate, a guild gate. Occasionally it's going to be a Shockland. Yeah, and again, nice. any ten of the Shocklands. And then, even and then- less likely, there's a mythic rare land. Cool. What sort of mythic rare land, Craig? Do you know? No, it's 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 new for Dragon's Maze, or it's a reprint for Dragon's Maze. It's but it obviously, I, I can't remember the last time we even saw a mythic rare. Was it Eye of a Gun or Odrazi Temple or something like that? Anyways, it's it's going to be a mythic rare. I think it's only going to appear in this land spot, which is going to make it quite mythic. I think. Yeah. More, more mythic, mythic plus. I don't know. I'm not sure. But yeah, they're they're occasionally. You're going to see this mythic rare land, well, very occasionally, whatever mm. it is. Um, It'll be quite similar, I imagine, to any mythic flip cards 
you might have picked up in Innistrad, maybe? Yeah, I think it will probably have the same sort of rarity as uh, Huntmaster or um, Garrick or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, 14 cards plus this land spot, which no basics, but non-basics, which is probably good because you're going to need a fair amount of colour fiction, I imagine. Uh, yeah. So you're going to be playing three colour. Is this where the four colour mess deck comes in? <laughs> the new archetype, four colour mess. Eh, probably. Could be. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. But yes, that's Dragon Maze information for you because apparently Gatecrash isn't exciting enough. Yeah. Oh, Gatecrash though. Pretty mm. exciting. It, very much. True. <laughs> this is true. Uh, continuing with the news, there's quite a lot of news to get through today. Um, Wizards over the last week have done a couple of Google Plus Hangouts. So they basically were live streaming some of their developers and designers and the people who were working at Wizards talking about different topics. So they had one video about Gay Crash, which had Mark Rosewater, who hopefully you'll know is like the head designer of Magic. He was also the co-lead designer of Gay Crash. Uh, Dave Humphreys, Dave Humphreys was the lead developer of Gay Crash. Um, so they were in one video. Another video was about Magic Online, and that included uh, Sean Gibbons, uh, Ryan Spain. Uh, I'm not quite sure who else was there, but if you want more information about stuff to do with Gay Crash, maybe how it was made, or stuff to do with where Magic Online's going, then there's those two Google Plus Hangout videos available on YouTube, but you can find them via the Wizards website, and I'll probably put them in the show notes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yep. Moving on to us, news about us, because Woo-hoo, we're important. News about us, Craig, yay! So we were guests on another podcast this week. Yay! It was fun. Yeah, it, more enthusiastic, more enthusiastic. Okay, well, it was fun, it was really fun. It was, it, it was great fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, we were on The Deck Tees, uh, hosted by Astros, I believe I mentioned that a couple episodes ago, three episodes ago, last yeah. episode. So- Something like that. Um, so we will be on episode 28, I believe, and that should be out Monday the 4th of February, but I'm not taking responsibility if that doesn't happen because it's not like I'm involved with getting the show out there. But we had a lot of fun on that. I, v- I very much enjoyed it. Um, Astros was an excellent host and... Yeah, it was really good fun. It was really good fun. Uh, we were up late doing it, but... Yeah. Yeah, that was one issue, because uh, Estrus is in America, we had to stay up till midnight before we started recording. Yeah, it was interesting, that. But the uh, it was really interesting speaking to somebody from across the other side of the pond, so to speak. Uh, you know, because quite interesting, the differences in, I don't know, the just the problems that we have over here sometimes and stuff like that. It was yeah. interesting anyway, yeah. I wouldn't want to give anything away, because I really would recommend you listen to it, because if anything else, the two of us are on it, and if you're listening to us now, then you totally want to continue listening to us. The deck tease. It's good. You should listen to it. You should, in general, as well as specifically episode 28, which we'll be on. And I'm sure I'll uh, post that on Twitter, and I'll probably get it in the show notes for next episode, because it's obviously not out yet, so I can't really link to it exactly just now, but, you know. Continuing on us, because we're egotists, uh, the Simic Set <laughs> review should be out by the time you're listening to this. Um, we're getting it up. It's taking a lot longer than we expected. I think I said it last week. Nothing has changed since last week. It's still taking a lot longer than we thought, I think. Yeah, it's just a case of not wanting to compromise quality just for the sake of getting out there in time. Really, I think is the issue, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, and in some ways, <laughs> in some ways, the la- the longer it takes us to do it, the more we're actually getting experience of Gate Crash. So, the more accurate the set of reviews 
are going to be when they're released. But as we say, it's a loving set review. We are going to update them as time goes on. Yeah. But it is taking us longer than we expected. But Simic should be out by the time you're listening to this. As for the next guild, um, it'll probably be a delay because we're going to GP London. Hey! So no idea when the next uh, set review will be up, but I would imagine not for a little while at least. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, Orzhov is currently out. Simic should be up by the time you're listening to this. If not, give us a couple hours. And uh, yeah, we'll get the rest done as we can. Cool. What's next, Greg? Name that card. Name that card! Ooh! Is there a... Oh, play the jingle, play the jingle! Name that card! Ah, oh, you got to love the new jingle, Craig. Well, you would love the new jingle. I just took your voice and altered it and... <laughs> and <laughs> added some banging noise. Yeah, added, added in some different music. Oh, let, let us know if you like the music or not. I just put it in for humour's sake, but... <laughs> if you think it's annoying, let me know. Um, anyways, am I going first or are you going first? You can go first this week, Craig. I know it'd help if I actually had thought of a card ahead of time. Let us pick something random. Okay. The card I have in front of me is from Gatecrash. Cool. The card I have in front of me is a sorcery. Cool. Uh, uh, the card you have in front of you is Call of Nightwing. It is not Call of the Nightwing. Ah. Oh. Uh, the card. One. Okay. <laughs> um, the card has a guild symbol on it. A ah, guild watermark. Interesting. interesting. Uh, so it's potentially multicolored. Do you get? No, you get monocolored cards as guild symbols. That doesn't help me a lot, Craig. Really, I think I'm going to say move on to the next clue, please. Okay. It costs <laughs> a converted mana cost of four. Four mana sorcery. Hmm. Uh, four mana sorcery. Gilded. That doesn't help me much. I'm trying to think of a four mana sorcery, let alone a... Uh, no, no, everything I'm thinking I think, I think are instants. I can't think of a four mana sorcery, Craig. Okay, um... Let's try to give you more clues, shall we? Uh, I, no, I honestly can't think of a four-man sorcery, so... <laughs> so... I'll start reading out the text well, in the could, cards. It, okay, okay, I was just thinking it could be a... It could be one of the black uh, cipher cards. They're sorceries, aren't they? Oh, the cipher cards are sorceries, or the instance. Most cipher cards are sorceries. Shall I, right. start, I start reading? Okay, okay. Okay, the first, uh, the first sentence on the card is... Shuffle your library, then reveal the top card... What? What? Should I read the the second sentence? This is a rare, isn't it, Craig? It is a rare. This has got to be a rare. It is a rare. I've not paid much attention to the rares. I'll keep reading then. Okay. So, shuffle your library, then reveal a top card. If it's a non-land card, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. I don't know. If I knew it, Craig, I'd have got it off of that. I'm not going to get it from that. Okay, I'll read the rest of it. If it's a land card, you may put it into the battlefield and return unexpected results to its owner's hand. Yep, I had no idea about that, Craig. Yep, so this is... Unexpected results? Yes. It's two, a green, and a blue, so it's Simic. And yeah, you either get um, an online card and get it casted for free, or you get a land card and you get this uh, sorcery back into your hand. 
Oh, yeah, that's quite cool. It's got like a kind of big pod thing with a guy in it. Yes. Big, big googly eyes. Yeah, so we are weird googly eyes thing. Like, hello, I'm looking at you from my little pod. <laughs> the, the elf guy's like, what have I made? <laughs> Indeed. So, yes, unexpected results. Yeah. Well, that was rather unexpected. Uh, I, I just, That's a card that has totally, by, like, flown under the radar. I never even knew that card existed until now. Well, we haven't opened many Gatecrash packs, so... Yeah. But you'd think I might have spotted it. We did cover it in the set review for Simic. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I'll let you get on to your card. Okay, I have a card in front of me, Craig. Excellent. I'm going to try and be a little bit awkward here, right? It has a quote on it from Zelianus, Orshov Recruiter. This isn't Legion Loyalist, is it? It is not. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. It has converted mana cost three. Is it a goblin? It is not a goblin. Hmm, okay. Um, then you're definitely going to have to give me more. One of its creature types is warrior. Oh, this isn't the one about we think we've tamed him, but he's actually just a beast underneath. This isn't the Cyclops, is it? It is not the Cyclops. Okay, clutching at straws, it, clearly. His, his other creature type is human. A human... Warrior. Warrior. Being spoken about by the Boros for three mana. Orsov. Oh, sorry, Orsov. Sorry. Oh, I'm, uh, that's why I was going the wrong way completely. <laughs> um, three mana. Oh, just because he's spoken about by the Orsov doesn't necessarily mean he is Orsovian. Um. Do you want to hear the rest of the quote? Yeah, because the only thing I'm thinking of at the moment is Stealer Secrets, and that's the wrong set. <laughs> okay, so the quote is. Merciless to the point of psychosis. Let's give him a job. Merciless to the point of psychosis. And that is Zelianus, Orsov Recruiter. Um, I can't think. The quote rings a bell, but I can't think of a card at the moment. Okay. The casting cost has one black mana in it. I think I've probably played this card, but I just can't think of what it could be. Um, it's not It's not going to be Kingpin's pet, is it? It is not. Okay, right. One more clue, one more clue. Yeah, I'm probably going to fail it is. It is from Return to Ravnica. No, I'm only joking. It's not, it's from Gatecrash. <laughs> if you no, did uh, that, I would have been so upset. I know, I know. Right, okay. Uh... The last part of the sentence on his on his uh, description text, no, his, his rules description text, says defending player discards a card. Oh, the um, oh, the thug, the, the warrior. Yeah, <laughs> but he's it's the Slight Street. Is it the Slight Street guy? Yeah, it's the Slight Street ruffian. Ruffian. That's yeah, the word that's... I was looking for. Yep, that's him. Half a point? Do I get a point? Half a point? Yeah, I think you get a point for that, Craig. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy to... Well, it's pretty hard to get them when we're still figuring this out, you know? I suppose this is true. Yeah. They're not exactly lodged into memory yet. (laughs) Well, some things clearly are, just not him. Even though I've seen him quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm currently winning two and a half to one. Best two out of four. Ha- two and a half to one? Yeah. Oh man. Because <laughs> last week I got <laughs> half a point. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's first to four, isn't it? It's first to four. Okay. Okay. So I still need to win two, even though I've got two and a half points, and you need to win three. Yay. Of course, because it'll go three and a half, four and a half. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. So anything can still happen. Anything can happen. Shall we move on to our first topic then? Yes, what is our first topic today, Craig? Well, last weekend there may have been a little something called the pre-release for Gate Crash. Ooh, I, I think I went to one of those. I think I went to one of those as well, so I thought we should probably talk about them. That seems like a cracking idea. So, which pre-release did you show up to on the Saturday? I went to the one at Kirkcaldy at MinMax Games. They had one on Saturday and Sunday, and I went to both. Indeed, so did I. So I kind of saw you there, and you probably yeah. saw me as well. So I guess you're just asking him for our listeners' benefit then, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, what guild did you end up picking on Saturday? Uh, on Saturday, I picked the Gruel box. Uh, so I got the Rubble Hulk, and I got the Gruel booster pack, and a bunch of other packs, and I tried to make a Gruel deck to start with, but ended up with a kind of three-colour hybrid of Gruel and Boros. Okay. How about you? How did you get on Saturday? What did you make? Uh, well, I decided to go with a Simic. Um, oh, yeah. Because I wanted the pre-release card for the Simic, and I ended up playing Boros. Interesting. So I take it you didn't get anything good from Simic? No, no. Um, so let's see. What did I open? I opened, well, my Fathom Mage. Yeah. A, a non-promo Fathom Mage. So you've got two Fathom Mages. A Biomancer, Master Biomancer, the Mythic Rare. The Mythic Rare? The Biomancer? The, that, that guy's good, Craig. Yeah, he, <laughs> he gives everything which comes into play after him at least plus two plus two. Yeah, he's real good. I uh, also I... got the Biovisionary, which, you know. Yeah, okay. And Mystic Genesis. What does Mystic Genesis do? Remind me on that one. Uh, that is the counterspell which creates an ooze. Alright, okay. Fair enough. It's not really exciting, but... So you ended up playing Boros. You must have got some good Boros stuff then. Well, I did, but I mean, obviously, you open five rares in Simic when you're playing Simic, and you should be pretty chuffed. But when I put it together, I didn't really have a curve. I didn't have enough commons and uncommons to support the strategy. And then when I made my Boros deck, it just had an amazing curve. Nice. Which is exactly what you want to Boros. Uh, I did open two good Boros cards. I opened Gideon. Well, there you go then. <laughs> okay. And I also <laughs> opened the Hellkite Tyrant. He never right. actually saw any play. Um, but th- those really actually weren't the reasons I looked at Boros. I just looked at Boros because out of my pool of cards, ignoring the rares, the, like Boros and Simic were the only ones I had the quantity of cards for. But Simic yeah. just wasn't as good as Boros when I put it together. Yeah, I mean, I had an interesting experience when I was opening my packs because I had in my head, you know, I'm probably playing Gruel here because, you know, my pool is going to be slightly biased towards that because it's this extra pack. And as I'm opening my packs, the the um, first rare that opened was the uh, Double Strike 3-3 three, three Ogre. Yes, the, the Wrecking I can't remember his name. Is it Wrecking Ogre? Possibly, that's maybe his name, something like that. And then I was like, fine, on colour rare, that's good. And as I was going through the next pack, the, uh, oh, I wasn't really paying that much attention to the rares. I was just trying to put them to one side. So I was like, ah, good, a green rare, fine, that'll be handy. 
uh, oh, another green rare. It's the same one. And then I picked it up and I looked to see which one it was. And it's like the 9-9 trampling worm oh. for, eight, for eight mana. I was like... The Scar really, Goliath. Really, that's that's what I'm getting today. Okay. So I ended up uh, being slightly disappointed with the, the rares. Because I wasn't expecting to get like awesome rares. But then when it opened like three on-color rares. And then when I actually look at them, I'm like, these really aren't very good. Maybe I'm underrating the Scar Goliath. Cause, but... With the cards I had, I couldn't see me ever playing it. Yeah, I definitely would have played one Scar Goliath, because the th- theoretically, if you cast it, even for Blood Rush, you should be winning that game. Yeah, but it's still a big if, if you cast it, you know. <laughs> that is true. Eight man is quite a lot to get to. I think I had a Verdant Haven, but I don't think that was enough to, you know, be guaranteed to be able to ramp into that card every game. So without the, the like, couple more key runes or something to be able to get me up to it. I don't think it would have been worth playing. But, you know, we can agree to disagree. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I would disagree that Verdant Haven is a card as well, but that's... A, nah, but Verdant Haven's a good card. Verdant Haven's a good card. You ever played Harrow before? Uh, no, because Harrow's from before I was playing. Yeah, well, Har- Harrow was a good card for ramping, and so is Verdant Haven. I think uh, you get an extra mana source, and okay, you might lose a bit of Ground, you might get hit by one of their tutus, but you know what? It gives you two life back, so I don't feel so bad about that. It does, it does um, hit you a bit for tempo-wise. You don't get to put a player creature that turn, but I think it makes up for it by the fact that you're going to be able to play a five drop potentially after you've played it. So yeah. as long as you're hitting your lands every turn, which is another big if, but you know, I, I, I maybe rate ramp higher than what I should, but that's just me. I don't know, maybe. Okay, so you ended up playing Gruel Boros. Yeah. And I ended up playing Boros. And we faced our, each other in the first match. Yeah, this is true. As luck would have it. Um, so that that was over pretty quickly. Yeah, you laugh it up, buddy. You laugh it up. I'm not laughing. I, <laughs> I'm merely stating the fact that I completely crushed you twice. Yeah, in a row. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I will allow you that, but I think you should bear in mind the amount of mulligans and... <laughs> just my bad beats. I want to complain about bad beats, but I'm not going to. I want to, but I, I don't feel this is the place. I'll say, that's fine, Craig. I'll get you next time. Because you mulliganed <laughs> first to six, and then the second game, I think you mulliganed to three or four? I, yeah, it must have been a mullet four, because I don't, I don't go below four. Okay. So yeah, that that also that made it easy when I also just went one drop, two drop, Sky Knight Legionnaire swing. Yeah, see, that was a problem, because I, I knew I had to get a decent start against you because you were so... You, after the first game, you came out really fluidly. It was like, well, I need to have a good response to that. So I couldn't keep shady hands. Like, so I think there might have been like a, when I mulled the first time, it might have been like a three land, but a couple of four drops or five drops. And I was like, nah, that's not going to cut it. So maybe I was a mulligan too aggressively, but maybe not. I think part of the problem with me was the way I'd, um, because in that first round, I was playing a heavier concentration of white than I maybe should have been. I uh, completely underrated the Bomber Cruise and the... Bomber Corps. Yeah, Bomber Corps, yeah, sorry. sorry and yeah. the, the... I want to call them Mog Funkies. The Ember Beasts. Ember Beasts, yeah. I don't know why, but I, I kind of felt that the, the, the Bomber Corps wasn't going to be that effective because it's like two mana and it's got one power. But I had a I think I had three of them. 
And then afterwards, like, yeah, that was really stupid. They should be in. And they came in, and it helped smooth things out a lot for me. But I, think, I still, still didn't do very well that day. And those sort of quantities, I think, uh, the Bomber Corps are really strong. Yeah. Yeah, it proved to be really strong later on like, in some of my other games. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any interesting games or interesting things happen to you in any of your games? Um, I did cast Rubble Hulk from my hand for Blood Rush onto the Double Strike Ogre for something like 22 damage. <laughs> and the guy was on, the guy was on uh, 20 lives. But I still didn't win that match, which was the worst thing. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I won that game, but I didn't win that match. Um, okay. I think my most interesting thing was I was facing a field filled of Simic creatures, and I was trying to get Gideon up above 15 to wipe them all out. Yeah. And all that would happen was it'd be, it'd be something like, I go up to 22 counters, and he bashes me down to 13. And it's like, I go up to 26 counters, he bashes me <laughs> down below 15. I go to more counters, and then finally he, I don't have enough creatures to defend Gideon, and he kills Gideon, and I lose that match because I've got nothing else to answer his deck. But <laughs> that, that was the best thing, watching Gideon, just this massive bounce up and down of loyalty on Gideon, and it still didn't make any difference. <clears throat> that was mo- my, my most interesting interaction. Um, so what was your, uh, sco- your uh, result at the end of the day? I ended up 3-1, um... Losing to the guy who who had a winning with his ridiculous Simic deck. Um, yeah, yeah. How about yourself? I went one and three, so exact opposite to you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I hang my head in shame, but, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I felt like I really played quite well that day, but I didn't actually do very well. Do you ever get that? But you, you feel like you've played well and you've you've not made many mistakes, but I must have made mistakes somewhere because I lost three game, three matches. Not necessarily. I mean, uh, I, I know I've, I've definitely been in the stage where I've played, you know, pretty competently or to the best of my ability and still lost because sometimes you got to remember there's some, there's luck in magic, you know, if you just keep drawing land and there's nothing you can do. If you don't draw land, there's nothing you can do. If your opponent yeah. just happens to curve out better or he gets like the lucky draws and you don't, then, you know, yeah. Do you not find it's a bit too easy to blame luck sometimes, though? Oh, like, I, I, it's, it's really convenient, and you're sort of like, well, ah, I just got unlucky there. I maybe should... Uh, like, is, is he, like, if you do that, then you're less inclined to examine your mistakes, maybe? True. I mean, I don't I do not do it terribly often. Like, if I lose due to mana screw or mana flood, or if I win due to mana screw or mana flood, there I just go, well, I didn't win or lose that game. That was luck. Yeah, I suppose so. But if it comes to something where I'm playing to the best of my ability and I still don't win, then if it's in a draft, I can just simply, I simply probably think that doesn't make sense. If I lose and we were doing a draft, then I will think, you know, I probably didn't draft well enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's not to say that you can't take steps to guard against sort of mana screw or mana flood. You know, if you're shuffling your deck com- uh, well enough, you can blame luck. But then you You've got to look at whether you've shuffled your deck right, you know. Yeah, it's a weird thing where some people do where, you know, they're playing 17 land in their 40 card draft deck and then they they never draw land and then they go, oh, I need to go up to 18 or I need to go up to 19. Or they draw too much land and they cut to 16 or 15. And it doesn't yeah. make sense. That yeah, when- logic doesn't work when you actually think about it. 
Yeah, it's like just because it happened once. Shall I tell you exactly what? I, I heard this story on the radio this week, and uh, they were talking about seatbelts in cars and why and, and why there's still some people who don't wear seatbelts in cars. And they have reasons. Like, there's some people have medical reasons or are disabled or whatever. Some people get anxiety issues because they get panic attacks and things. But this one chap phoned in, and his reason for not wearing a seatbelt was that when he was younger, he was a passenger in a car, and they had a car crash, or some, and it was on some sort of junction, and somebody hit them in, in the side of the car, and with the force of the car crash, he got thrown out the passenger window, right? Okay. And the car subsequently spun out into the junction and got hit by a truck. And if he had been wearing a seatbelt, he'd have got hit by the truck. So now he doesn't wear a seatbelt, right? And he's okay. Like, well, that I suppose you can see where he's based his logic on, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. I, I don't think anyone in the right mind will agree with that conclusion. <laughs> but but this he was genuinely phoning up a national radio station and arguing his point. This is why I don't wear a seatbelt. You know, it's like, well, okay, fair enough. I'm pretty sure the seatbelt's designed to keep you in the car because most of the time when you go out the car, you're going to die. You know. Or just the act of leaving the car and then hitting the road is going to kill you. But yeah, most of the time. So it's, sim- it's similar. So like, well, I got mana flooded that time, so I'm going to cut out half my land, so I won't get mana flooded this time, surely. No, you're not. You're going to get screwed. But hey. Yeah, you're guaranteeing against a flood, <laughs> and instead you're getting screwed. Yeah. So yeah, sure, you're not getting hit by the truck, but you are still hitting the road at you know. Yeah. Sixty funny. miles per hour or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you were there on Sunday too on the pre-release, weren't you? As were you, yes. Yeah, I was. Uh, were you playing? No, I was not. Um, <laughs> funny, I'm asking you, but I know the answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing it for you, the listener. I'm asking these questions for you. I hope you appreciate it. So we <laughs> there, there were two considerations about why I didn't play. One, I was judging that day um, because, you know, we needed someone to judge. It wasn't just... A, thing where you could just sort of leave it to people to decide things or whatever. So I was judging, which kind of meant I probably should have spent my whole time dedicated to judging. However, because it's a pre-release and it's regular rel, that means you can judge and play. So I was planning to do that. However, our shop had a limited number of pre-release packs and it ended up more people came through the door than we had pre-release packs for. So I had the choice either... I was the person who went, no, no, I'm judging and I'm getting to play and I get all the enjoyment all to myself. Or I could have been nice and given my pack away effectively. So that is what I did. Mm. So um we saw it to turn people away, but at least one person extra got to play. And I yeah. could, I was still there and I still had got time to enjoy myself because I was judging, making sure everything was going fine. So. I think maybe that was the only negative part of the day was that some people who came and expected to play weren't able to. But I mean, I th- it was even on the Wizards website that you have to kind of pre-order if you definitely want to play because stocks may be limited. It was right up there on their website, on their pre-release primer page or whatever it was. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, but still, as I think it's a downside of the... The way that they're doing the, the pre-releases with these sets, with the guild packs, you know, with a normal set, the shop would just be able to buy in as many booster boxes as they think they could reasonably sell over the coming weeks. Aye. And nobody got turned away, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was unfortunate, but I, I, yeah, about, about pre-ordering, like I pre-ordered before my shop, before our shop was taking pre-orders. 
Yeah, 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 I understand that. But I mean, there is a lot of people who just won't expect there'd be stock issues. You know? Yeah. But hey. Oh, well. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, you weren't judging. No, I was playing. I played again. I was greedy. I played twice. Well, that's fine. <laughs> but what did you play this time? I played Demir, and I opened some pretty good Demir cards and did quite well. Mm. Ended, up, ended up going 4 and 0 oh in the end. I think I got that right way around this time, didn't I? I always get yes. my numbers the wrong way around. <laughs> yes, you, you won all of your matches, you didn't lose all of your matches. Yeah, that's what I did. So that's uh, probably more than made up for Saturday, I would imagine. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. Cool. Uh, do you have any interesting things happen to you on the Sunday? Um, I seem to remember was... one, one match I was watching between you and your opponent. I think it was round four, was it? And round four. Oh, well, it depends which match you're referring to. Um, oh, oh, when you were watching? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I definitely mind you watching me in round, round four, yeah. Where there was consuming aberrations on both sides of the battlefield. Yeah, there was, there was technically, right, this is interesting because what happened was he had his consumer, ab- no, I had my consumer aberration. He used a, now, what is the rare cipher card that makes a copy of the creature? Uh, stolen Identity. He had, he played Stolen Identity, made a copy of my uh, Consumer Aberration, and then I played Stolen Identity and made a copy of my Consumer Aberration. And just fortunately enough, he had something like 17 cards in his graveyard, and I had 10. So I was able to start power him. But, uh, yes, yeah. Because Consuming Aberration's power is based on your opponent's graveyard. So even if you're copying Consuming Aberration, that doesn't mean it's going to have the same power toughness. Yeah. Because it's looking at a different graveyard. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty cool. The, uh, I think the highlight for the day was, it was actually a bit awkward because it was one of these moments I was playing against a relatively new player. I want to say that, but I, I don't mean any offence. I'm just saying, like, I, I think I'd seen him at a couple of pre-releases before, maybe one pre-release. I think he came to Friday Night Magic this week as well. But he was making a few mistakes and things, and, we, and, I, and I won the game, or won the match in the end, but the uh, the on the final board state in the last game, I had an ogre slumlord in play. I had the uh, oh, what was the sapphire drake? Okay. And the biomaster. What's biomancer. Biomancer, yeah, biomancer. I'm rubbish with card names. This is why you wouldn't name that card, Craig. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the biomancer. So effectively, every time a creature died, I was getting a. Three, three flying rat with death touch. And I was so excited, but you could see this, this young guy was a little bit, like, upset. Well, not upset, but he wasn't happy that he, they hadn't won his game because he'd been doing quite well. Yeah. And, uh, so he was a little bit down because he, because he, because, because I'd won. And I was sitting bubbling inside going, oh, look, I'm making flying death touch rats. But I couldn't, like, point at it and go, look, this is so cool because this guy was obviously a little bit miffed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. That was my highlight, but I couldn't share it with it with anyone at the time. You should have just raised your hand and called over Judge and just called <laughs> judge. me over. <laughs> Look at this board state Judge. Yeah, I didn't want to like be rubbing it, rubbing it in, you know. Yeah, that, that, that was, makes sense. It was, it was cool. Ah, oh, shame I missed that. Yeah. See, if that was me, even though I would just take pictures. I was yeah, taking a be- picture of the of the Sapphire Drake and then the Ogre Slumlord and the Biomancer and just go combo. Yeah, I mean, like. uh you can tell just from the cards we're talking about that my pool was pretty busted. Yeah. You know, like the the cipher card and those three and it was just really good. Couple of flyers. 
Both the removal. I had about seven removal spells, Craig. Oh, that's nice. And I had enough. Um, I had enough milk effects, like in Bostrade Spies, and I had two Grizzly... Is it Grizzly End? It's uh, Grizzly Spectacles. Grizzly Spectacle. I had two Grizzly Spectacles, so they were kind of milling as well, and it was enough to make the minus X, minus X enchantment worthwhile. Uh, Death's Approach. Death's Approach, yeah. So, I really am here just to name cars, haven't I? Yeah, that's it, yeah. So those... <laughs> like, Death's Approach wouldn't normally get played unless I could reliably get the graveyard filled up, but I was filling up his graveyard quite nicely most of the time, so... It was good. I enjoyed. Cool. Did you... Do you have to make any interesting judgments? Um... I don't think so. There's nothing interesting. I was a bit disappointed in myself when I was asked a question and... Okay, so it was to do with uh, Forced Evolution? No, is that the name of the card? The one which uh, is an aura on a creature and oh, gives... The, the green one, and it gets plus, plus one every turn. Yeah, at the beginning of your upkeep it gets plus one, plus one every turn. So the question I was asked... Sorry, Forced Adaption. So the question I was asked was, if I enchant my key rune with Forced Adaption because it's no longer a creature during upkeep, will I get the plus one, plus one counter? And I was thinking about it for a little while, and then I just slapped myself and thought, wait a moment, it's an enchant creature aura? I mean, by the time the key rune ceases to be a creature, the aura's going away, and you're never going to have this enchanted on it during your upkeep. Yeah. And it took Um, me to, like, it actually took somebody else to point it out. Like, it was only about 10 seconds until somebody else pointed it out, but I was just like, in those 10 seconds, I should have just went, but it's not a creature? It's so, a little yeah. bit awkward, though, because am I right in saying that Cypher cards and plus one, plus one tokens will stay on your key room? Okay, so if if a counter of any sort ends up on any of your cards for any reason, so if, for example, yeah, you're able to plus one, plus one your key rune while it's a creature, when it ceases to be a creature, it's still going to have the counter on it, because it doesn't yeah. care. Like, it's not like this is an artifact non-creature which has power toughness one or something weird like that. It just has a plus one, plus one counter, and if that ever becomes relevant for some reason, whether it's a creature or whether something is looking for plus one, plus one counters, it's still there, and that can still be looked at. With Cypher, you need to Cypher onto a creature. So, for example, if you want to Cypher onto a key rune, it has to be activated by the time you get to the Cypher part of the card. But if it ceases to be a creature, it's still fine, because encoding doesn't care about creature, like what type of card it's encoded onto. Yeah. Until yeah, after it's targeted and resolved. So. Yeah. So it's easy. It's easy to see that there could be a bit of confusion there, yeah. especially like newer players or newer judges. <laughs> Indeed. No, I'll take. I'll take that hit. Um, this was something which was called on to me by the judge on uh, Saturday, where I decided to put an uh, enchant creature aura on my Gideon. And ah. it was pointed out, yes, the aura will go away at the end of turn. It's like that's fine because I'm able to swing for lethal swing. Um, but yeah, I, I I I just should have realised that sooner than I did. Yeah. But you know, I, we are all human. We make mistakes, and as you are correct in saying, I am a newer judge. I mean, I'm not even a level one judge yet. Hopefully, by next weekend, I'll be able to sit my level one judge test and pass it. But we'll see. Oh, hoping so, buddy. Hoping so. Good luck on that. Yep. Thank you very where, much. Where are you going to do that? Uh, GP London. GP London. Woo. Um, <laughs> which we are going to have another show before then. Yeah. And then um, hopefully you should have the show out in time for the weekend. At least if you're following us on our Tumblr, Facebook, or my Twitter feed, then I'll definitely post it up. You may not be on MTG Cast before GP London, but 
Mm. We'll get that episode recorded and I should have it up to you, even if I have to do another quick edit or something like that. If people want to know more about what we're doing there, but. Cool. Right. Um, I think pre-release over. Yeah. Well, they are definitely over. I mean, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Boom and bust time. Which do we have a, do we have a jingle for boom and bust? We don't have a jingle for boom and bust. Right. I think you should do the deep voice for boom and bust. Boom and bust. Ah, oh, that was good. I liked that. Okay. Ping pong, good shot. Right, would you like to start? Or actually, maybe we should explain Boom and Bust. I can't remember the last time we even did Boom and Bust. Yeah, it's been a while. Episode 7. Oh, now we're on 14, so 7 episodes ago. So if you're a newer listener, maybe we should explain what Boom and Bust is. Okay, yep, seems reasonable. So, uh, so what we do, each of us gets a card which is raising our expectations since, well, the last time we evaluated it, and another card which is lowered in our uh, expectations since the last time we evaluated it and we talk about it so you know the card was really stood out for us in the last wee while and the card was just really dropped in how well we thought it was in the last little bit yeah right shall I just go on to my boom yeah you have a boom so my boom is Ogre Slumlord yeah I, I, I'm with you there buddy I mean to be honest Ogre Slumlord always looked good I mean he created you know little rats of things died and they all had death touch and if he had some gutter skills they also had death touch but I just didn't realise how problematic he can be. Like, if you yeah. play an Ogre Slumlord and you swing into attack, your opponent's got a choice. If they don't block, they're taking tons of damage. If they do block and there's either trades or chumps, then you're getting Death Touch Rats. Yeah. And if they block a whole bunch of places, they've cleared the board, but you've got all these Death Touch Rats. Yeah. And, like, even if you attack with your Death Touch Rats, you can stop the points of damage, and it's almost like... Uh, like inconsequential, like one point of damage. So what? But it's one point of damage that'll get through every time because if he blocks, then he just gives you another rat, and he loses an actual card, a creature. Yeah, and again on defense, if they attack in, they're definitely losing their creature, and then you just replace the rat which just chumped. Yeah, I mean, I think with Ogre Slumlord, I knew he was going to be good, but I underestimated how much fun he was going to be to play with. Yes. <laughs> you know, this is a card I get a lot of enjoyment out of. I mean, you definitely got the combo going with Slumlord, Biomancer, and Sapphire Drake. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort I mean, of fun things yeah. you can do, but he is, he's just ridiculous. He's more ridiculous than I thought he was going to be, which is why he's, I mean, he was always strong, but he's a lot better than I thought, and he's my yeah, boom yeah. for this week. Although, his entire, the entire army of rats relies on him entirely. Like, if he, if, if he gets killed, and he's only a 3-3, so it's not so hard to do, when he gets killed, your rats revert just to being 1-1 one, one tokens, which is slightly less impressive than 1-1 one, one death touchers. That is very true. There's a lot of difference between having death touch and not on that size of creature. Yeah. But at least I can still chump for you while you do other yeah. stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I accept your boom. Excellent. Uh, should I do my bust or do you want to do your boom? Uh, you can do your bust. Okay, so my bust, and I know this is going to be a controversial should, choice. Sorry, Craig, can I, should, should we uh, read out what the cards do? That would probably be an idea. Right, yeah. Ogre Slumlord, I think we covered most of the bases, but it's a three black black Ogre Rogue, who's a 3-3. Three, three. He's a rare, and it says, whenever another non-token creature dies, you may put a 1-1 one, one black rat creature token onto the battlefield. And then rats you control have death touch. Yeah. So if things die, you get a death touch rat. If you've got a gutter skulk, it gets death touch. But if he goes away, then your rats are just left being a bit boring. Yeah. Right. On to my controversial bust. <laughs> Experiment one. Let me cover oh. what this is. It's a 
It's a single green mana for a 1-1. He's a human ooze, and he's uncommon. He has evolve, so he's definitely not going to stay as a 1-1. And he also has remove two plus one plus one counters from experiment one to regenerate experiment one. Yeah. So I don't like it. Um, it's mostly because of that bottom line where you can remove two plus one plus one counters from him to regenerate him. Because first you need to get him up to 3-3 before you consider doing this. And then once he's a 3-3, if you're needing to regenerate him as a blocker, then he drops down to a 1-1, he's not doing anything to the creature he's just blocked, and then it's going to be really hard to get him back up to a stage where he can start regenerating again. Yeah, I can see that. But I mean, I think from the way I look at it, is he costs 2 mana, he's a 1-1 to start with, Mm. but... He costs 1 mana. Does it cost one mana? It's a single green, one green mana. Well, that's even better then, because he's a single green for a 1-1, one, one, which is not particularly interesting or good. But he's got Evolve. So it means any creature you play, pretty much, outside of the blue flyer, the zero one flyer, apart from that guy, almost every other creature you play is going to evolve him into a 2-2. So when I'm playing this guy, most of the time he's a 2-2. That's where I value him, I suppose, is because... As a 1-1, one, one, isn't it very exciting? No. As a 2-2, two, two, he's quite appealing for a 1-mana 2-2, two, two, with a slight disadvantage that you have to play another creature to make him a 2-2. Two, two. So a 1-mana 2-2 two, two is good for me, and that's as much as I need to look at. The, the, experiment, the regenerate thing is nice, if you can do it. If you make him huge and kind of out, out of control, then you've got that added layer of protection, but I don't think... That uh, I mean, it's not like you're paying for it in the casting cost. Uh, it's just you know? I, I just I just don't like it. I just don't like the the option to regenerate isn't really an option. It's an option to chump block this turn and then experiment one is useless. And what's the point? He's just the- so depressing because once you regenerate him, he's you no longer in the game. He's just useless. No, he's just and- he's put himself onto the sidelines. You know. Right. Let's look at the 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 best possible situation this guy could be in, right? So you play him turn one. Turn two, you play a two-drop attack with a two-two. Turn three, you play like a three-three, a three-mana two-two or a three-mana three-two or something like that, and you get him up another point. So he's potentially a three-three on turn three attacking, and you'd be attacking for five because you've dropped your two-two, so that'd be five. Six, seven damage you've done. You could do a lot of damage with this guy. Admittedly, he does come down late really badly if you top deck him late. In, indeed. That, that's, that's the other yeah. issue I've got with him. If he comes down, like if he's, if he's your one drop, probably kind of awesome, but if he's not, then probably kind of rubbish. And that is why he's my bust. I just don't like him, at least not at this stage. Yeah, he I just mean. Doesn't, it doesn't excite me in the slightest. For me, he goes right in the sort of deck which doesn't expect to have a late game. So you're, you're playing things like Experiment 1, the Zero One Flyer, the, like other evolved things that are gonna be attacking really aggressively. And you might even chuck in some big green guys as well. Just to, so you're, you, you're hoping to, uh, kill your opponent before it gets to the point in the game where drawing cheap creatures is a bad thing. Typical sort of weenie aggro strategy. You know? Eh. <laughs> that's, well, that, is, that is my assessment of Experiment yeah. 1. Eh. Um, I, I don't think I'll pick him high, but I'll 
pick them at the same rate I'd pick a bear or I, I don't know why he's an uncommon that, that's my thing if he was a common like actually I wouldn't really change my feeling on him I don't really care about his rarity but I feel like he just should be a common if he was a common then aggro and green would be a thing like a real thing potentially over powerful I don't know let's move on he depresses me what's your boom <laughs> <laughs> my my boom was Bomber Core. Because uh, there was one, like I said before, I mentioned it earlier on, that I really, I feel like undervalued to start when I first saw it because of it was a one power. I'll read it out, read out the card. It's uh, one in a red for a creature human soldier. He has battalion, and whenever Bomber Core and at least two other creatures attack, Bomber Core deals one damage to target creature or player. He's a one two in power and defense, and when I first saw him, I thought that one power was just, like, not enough to make me happy when I'm trying to play with what I thought would be a really aggressive deck. You know, like, obviously, this is looking, going to the Boros strategy. And I thought, I'm I, I, I wanting to find... Because I was looking at things like Halberdiers, the three twos, thinking, that's what I want for my two mana. I don't want one twos, you know? And then when I actually came to play them, especially in multiples, when you're going across and you activate Battalion, you can use them in a way... To, well, either, you can kill off the X1 guys. There's quite a few of those in the set that are just one in the defense. I mean, I don't have to list them all off, but there's a few. Uh, or you can use them, like, you can plan out how your opponent might consider blocking, and you can put an extra point of damage onto potential blockers. So if you're attacking with a 3-3, for example, you could put a point of damage onto a 1-4 and attack with more confidence. You know? Or you can just ping the player. Or if you've got multiples, you can do two or three points of damage across the board. And it's just a nice little bonus. I'm not saying he's like first pick bomb or anything. I'm just saying that he is raised in my estimations. Yeah. You know? Cool. And my bust was marked for death, or mark of, hmm, mark for death. Mark for death, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say marked for death, no, but it's not quite right, is it? It's marked for death. Yeah. And that's a red sorcery. It costs four mana, three and a red. Uh, and it reads, target creature an opponent controls blocks this turn if able. Untap that creature. Other creatures that player controls can't block this turn. And I thought this was going to be a real blowout, but most games I ended up playing, it was stuck in my hand and I was kind of sad. I don't know why. I just never really did what I wanted to do. Maybe, maybe the situation didn't come up where it would be perfect but I feel that for that situation to come up you need to have like just one all out alpha strike you know yeah. and uh, that's not how my games were going I don't know why that was my games were more kind of picking away a wee bit at a time a wee bit at a time and then you know ugh, I don't know I was just I would have much rather just had a creature but I was I felt tempted to play it every time like this looks really powerful it looks like it could be really good but most of the time, especially playing Gruel, you've got like maybe one big guy, and that means you can always block your one big guy who's going to make all the difference. That makes it an alpha strike, you know. So it's like ah, nah. So I didn't, I didn't like that so much. Any thoughts on that one? Um, I was looking at that just now. I don't, know, I don't know if I've, I've not probably seen this card before. I quite like it. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. You're, you're going to fall in the same trap as me, Craig. I thought it looked really good. Yeah, it, it does just look pretty cool, but. 
It's four mana's expensive, maybe. Yeah. As well. I mean, it's similar to a Act of Treason and and pick and value, I think. Yeah. Because like Act of Treason will do pretty much the same thing. It'll allow some attackers through. Some of your guys will get blocked, but this way around. One of your guys is definitely getting blocked, you know, and it's going to be your best guy you're attacking with, and, ugh. Yeah. Do, 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 just... do you want to combo this with a removal spell? Possibly. See, that's that's the way I, I hadn't looked at that. Like, so, say, only this creature can block, and then I kill it. So you can't, so basically none of your creatures block this turn, yeah. Yeah, I suppose that could work, but... You need the mana to do it, which is... Yeah, you need the, the mana and the cards. I don't, I don't know if that makes it worthwhile. No. You're running this because, like, I think I just picked it too high. I thought this was all out and out. This is going to win me the game to the extent of, like, overrun standard. You know what I mean? That's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. And I was just valuing it too high. You know, I think it's closer to active treason than overrun. You know? Anyway. That's what I thought. All right. That's Boom and Bust done. Yay. Let's move on to our second topic. Okay. So I posted something up on Tumblr and thus reposted everywhere else. Um, earlier this week. We have, at the top of our Tumblr page, uh, Ask Us Anything link, and you can click on it, and then you can ask us a question, and then we'll answer it. But <laughs> nobody's like used it. I think it was being used once before I put up this post, um, where I said, you know, I, f- I really felt sorry for it because it's underused, it's lonely, and, uh, you know, it's it's nice to ask, get, like, questions. Yeah. Um. Because it's nice to have feedback and it's nice to, you know, people can pose questions about things we just haven't thought about. Yeah, and it's nice to interact with the with the audience as well, you know, like with, with you guys. Because sometimes it's just hard to know what people like and what people don't when they don't tell you anything. Like maybe we're just recording and we're only recording for our benefits and no one listens to it. That is a possibility, Craig. I mean, if I based how much listeners we have and all the feedback we got, then I think that puts us in maybe the six or seven region. I'm happy with that. I mean, Good that's cool. Guys. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's that's five more people than just the two of us. We have a cult following, Craig. Indeed. <laughs> but it's always nice to hear back from more people. So, yeah, I, I posted up this thing saying, if you want to ask us any questions, and please do so. And I said, as an extra incentive... Any questions which are asked before, uh, well, earlier today, I think it was, will be featured on the show. Yeah. So I'm going to keep the promise. We got five questions, so we're going to answer five questions. Cool. Cool. What right. is the first question, Craig? So the first question. Now, all of these were from anonymous posters. One thing I will say, I think you have to post anonymously unless you have signed up to Tumblr and have followed us for at least two weeks. Now, some people may just want to post anonymously, but in case you're wondering how to get, you know, a tributation, yeah. then I think you need to sign up to Tumblr and follow us for two weeks, and then I think you can have your name. I'm not quite yeah. sure why that's there. I'm not sure if this is some option I've ticked or unticked, but... You could add your name into the question, I suppose. I mean, I suppose there's room for abuse there, but I don't really see how. Yeah. Can you just say, hi, my name is, and I am just wondering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, can... people could pose as other people... We know. Oh, I suppose, I suppose you could. But, yeah. to be uh, honest, yeah. I think we may yeah. suss out who's pretending and who's not. Anyway, yeah. Anyways, let us move on to the first question. So the first question reads, Hey guys, just wondering if you guys are coming to any F&M drafts anytime. I've never been, so would you be able to help me out if I come? Now this seems like it's a question from someone we know or who comes to our store, I'm presuming. 
Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping knows this, of us somehow. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping this isn't someone in like I don't know somewhere Montreal. <laughs> yeah, like in Montreal or in New York or in Sydney or something. Kind of going. Are you coming to our Friday Night Magic? Because we don't really travel that far. We don't have the money to fly around the world coming to random drafts. <laughs> That's not what we do. So I must. Although uh, you know. Just put it out there, if anyone wants to provide me with plane tickets and accommodation, I'm more than well willing to come to your Friday Night Magic draft. I, I'm also open <laughs> for that offer, I think. Yeah. It may depend where. It may depend so, how much jet lag, but... Shall we assume that this is a local person? I'm assuming this is someone local to where we go. Yeah. To get. So, where do we go, Craig? We go to MinMax Games in Kirkcaldy, in Fife, yeah. in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, in Europe. And we go there most Fridays? Uh, pretty much. And do we help people out if they are new? We definitely do. We are very helpful. And, you know, without, I don't know, I'm quite often prone to giving away free cards and stuff to new players just to get them encouraged. I mean, we try to explain how to draft and what you're looking to do in a draft before we start drafting. We explain, like, the process of how many cards you need, and they don't have to draft the basic land and stuff like this. And then when people are building their decks, and even in between games, we do try to help people. Yeah, I mean, and it's a real, real sort of relaxed crowd in there as well. So there's people who will be traveling out to um, competitions around the com- country and stuff, but you're not running into you know pro players or anything like this. We're all just casual players for the most part. You know? Yeah, and in fact, in our last Friday Night Magic, we had we had to split our group into two different pods for drafting, and we intentionally had a more experienced pod with all sort of the, with the better players, and then a less experienced pod. So you know, people yeah. weren't just getting crushed by people who knew the rules better or knew how to draft better or something like that. We we intentionally tried to make a more friendly environment for the newer players. Here's the thing, Craig. Do you think that's a, a a good thing to do? Do you think that's a positive thing? I did have some slight reservations because if you like, if you're only playing against bad players, now I'm not saying like they were all bad players, but if you're in a situation where you're a bad player and you're only playing against bad players, it's going to be hard to improve. Just like I'm a reasonable player, yeah. I'd say I, I play against other reasonable players. You feel- but don't you don't you think it's a little bit like? You come along with Friday Night Magic, and people go, well, we don't know you, so uh, you can play in the less experienced group. Do you not think people might take offence? A little bit? I only did it this once. Like, next week, I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. It was, uh, I think it's because a few people were coming for their first time, and I just didn't want them to sort of go 0-3 and, and get completely crushed. Yeah, that's it. Um, um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to call, I think, but... Yeah, and it, the way the way it worked out, we did have like an eight, like an eight man table of experienced players, and the other ta- the six man table was newer players. There wasn't like a much of a crossover, but I mean, I wouldn't say anybody was bad players. I've been beaten by most of the people at that table. No, that's true. <laughs> you know, what I mean, some of them on the pre-release. So <laughs> I, I was just trying to make sure it was a a better environment for newer players, but I'm I'm not willing to do that in future weeks because. You're, yeah, if, if you're playing against better players, then you can you, you probably learn more, yeah. and that will help you. Like the only way to get better is to play against good opponents. Yeah, I mean, I think one way of doing that, if you wanted to do that, would be to have a 
separate tournament practice night that people have to sort of sign up for the week before or something. So everyone has an equal chance to play a sort of tournament style draft rather than a really casual Friday night magic style draft. And that way you get a sort of natural um, division of the people who want to play like that. But without actually causing any offence or without shunning people because they're not, that's, that's the wrong word. I'm making poor choice of words, I think. But you know what I mean, like dividing people like that. Yeah, I, I was thinking of running a sort of friendlier event to help educate people on how to play the game a bit better and give them some tips and tricks about, you know, what more, more experienced players do potentially. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, there was this interesting draft idea which I picked up from somewhere where you almost play Rochester drafting and you, and like everybody explains why they're picking like card X over card Y. Oh yeah, that sounds interesting. I mean like, you know, you open the booster and you lay out all the cards and then you go, right, I'm picking this card here because I think it's the best for these reasons. The other things I'd be thinking about is this card for this reason, this card for that. And you'd, you'd have a proper draft, but everybody would just explain like, first pick, this is why I'm picking this. And then second pick, you know, the reason I'm picking this card is because I think it's the best or I'm influenced by this or blah, blah, blah. And as a spectator, you could probably learn a lot. It would just potentially take an entire evening to draft, let alone play. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would be true. something nice to do if there was enough interest. And if enough people at a local store or near to us would be interested in something like that, then let us know because I would be more than willing to run some sort of uh, educational event, I'll say. Um, okay. Yeah. So in answer to the question... We say yes, you can come. And yes, we will be there. And yes, we will help you out if you come. And yes, so please come. it is a draft. At our Friday Night Magic, it's always a draft. <laughs> with ex- with no exceptions. So, yeah. um, however, don't come this week because we will be in London. Yeah, oh, we won't be there next week, yeah. yeah. Or this week. It'll be this week when you're listening to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Depend- unless you're listening to this in five years in the future, in which case, just ignore you know, specifically the eighth of February, two thousand and thirteen. <laughs> Don't come to our store; no one's going to be there. Yay! Well, the boo—I <laughs> don't know. I never know whether to yay or boo to punctuate a sentence, Craig. Well, we're gonna—we're gonna be a no. Uh, well, um, you should do both, and then I can edit as appropriate. Yay! Boo! I think I did both anyway, but hey. <laughs> okay. Cool. Right. Let's move on to our next question. Okay, the next question, Craig. Do you want me to read it out? or Go ahead. Okay, this one is another anonymous question. And the question is, what's your favourite limited format? It's got several A's. I'm not going to count them all. But it's favourite limited format, set-wise, I mean. So what's your favourite limited set to play, Craig? I'm torn between two. Mm. And... I'm going to have to explain, I have only been playing since M12, so my limited format knowledge is limited. No pun intended. Um, I'm torn between Dark Ascension, Innistrad, Innistrad. Yeah. And Return to Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, Return to Ravnica. Hmm. I really like the tribal theme going on in Innistrad. I like the sort of... um, Uncommon lords you get in Dark Ascension. That's most of the reason why I'm not going for just triple Dark Ascension. Yeah. And I do like the interesting signaling you can give where because you need to reveal the double face cards and because when you draft double face cards, you can't hide them until you've taken your next card. Like there is a sort of 
you can signal stronger or you can deliberately mislead single by like grabbing werewolf cars. Yeah. Like, you can sort of like mark out your territory or, <laughs> I mean, that is very werewolfy, I suppose. Or you can potentially throw weird signals or you can just go, look everyone, I've got a Garrick, I've got a Garrick and I'm putting it down to get out of my colors. Um, I like that element of it. However, yeah. I really do like Return to Ravnica just because I think probably with the exception of Golgari, there's four really strong, fun, viable decks all doing different things. And also, is it? Because I like is it. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I think I'm the same. I'm kind of torn between two sets. Well, maybe even three. I mean, that, you were talking about Innistrad there. But one of the things I like about draft formats is if they have interesting little, um, what would you call it? Gimmicky kind of decks that you can draft if the pieces come together. And, uh, I like Triple Innistrad because you could make this, the spider spawning deck. Did you, did you ever make that one, Craig? I didn't, but I know of it. Yeah, it was, that was a, a really cool one to do because it's like, unless, if your opponent was unaware of it, it would, de- it would, they'd be like, what are you doing? And then it'd be like, spider spawning for this much. And it's like, ah, okay. And how many lives are you gaining? Oh my word. You know, it's, that was really cool. But I think my favourite format, it's another triple format again, was probably triple scars. And it's, again, because these are wee decks you could make. I always just like making the dinosaurs deck. Because everybody would uh, be like, well, you're either Metalcraft or you're Infect. You're either Metalcraft or Infect. And on the sidelines, just sit there and pick up all the mana-making mirrors and all the massive green and red creatures. It's like... <laughs> Okay, you've got guys, I've got guys, my guys are twice the size of your guys. What are you got to say about that? And it's like really just simple, straightforward, but also kind of gimmicky as well. Uh, it was a really cool deck to draft. And there was another cool deck I like to draft in Scars that, now I seem to remember, can't remember the names of the cards because you know what I'm like, but yeah. there was a blue 1 4 uncommon that allowed you to put a charge counter on an artifact and your upkeep every turn. Can't remember his name. He's maybe like a Veldican something or I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And there were several artifacts in the set which used charge counters. One of them was Golem Foundry and it needed charge counters and once you got a certain amount of charge counters you were able to make three three golems. And that was cool. But one of the junk rares of the set, you know how you always get the junk rares? The junk, one of the main junk rares of the set that nobody picked and nobody could find use for, for most of the part, was the Colossus Foundry. Was it Colossus Foundry? Titan Forge. Titan Forge, yes. Titan Forge, yeah, and it made, Titan made Colossuses. Nine nines. Every, t- every time you could get three counters on it. And I used to like hoovering up all the one fours that put tokens on things. You make basically a kind of blue control deck. And you can turn out Titans at short notice. It's like two or three of those guys, two, two, two guys and one of those, you're turning out Titans like you wouldn't believe. And although it didn't always work, it was really cool. <laughs> you know? Are you thinking of the Dolkin Infuser? Possibly. That's Mirrodin Besiege, not Scars. Was he? Yeah. I was looking it up now. I was trying to find the card just so I could name it for you. But Fadokan Infuser, uh, he's in Besiege, and Titan Forge also besieged. Uh, it must have been Scars besieged then. Okay. Anyway, Dinosaurs was more sc- triple Scars, and uh, yeah, that's that's my favourite format. I don't even know my own favourite format, Craig. But I think it, I think it is that the besieged Scars then, because that was a cool deck to make. Cool. 
what I see. Excellent. Right. Next question. Yeah. Um, so uh, all of these are anonymous. Anyways, I would like to know what you both look like to give the voices a face. And some personal things such as when and what got you into magic. Also, a weekly question to listeners would be fun. So this seems to be three questions in total, ah. in all honesty. So I would like to know what you both look like. Um, if you go to Twitter, and let me just double check this, then yeah, you can find me, Ravak underscore, and there's a pretty <laughs> picture of me at the moment. It's my uh, Mickey Blue Eyes picture, as other people call it. Have you seen that one? It's also on Facebook at the moment as my personal. So, um, Craig, wait a minute. Other people call it your Mickey Blue Eyes. They, they, they do. Other people. Other that's people. Not some, that's not just something you made up. No, no, I, I, I call, I call it my poser picture. Are you sure? Absolutely. Okay, I accept your word for it because I know you're an honourable chap. But <laughs> I, I want to know who these people are. Um, I, I, I have other friends, which call me, which, which say that. Okay, okay, I accept that. I don't believe. Are there any photos of me on the internet anywhere? There, there's, <laughs> there is on Facebook, but. Um, I, I, like, I, I don't want to speak for you. Like, I'm quite happy people seeing what I look like because it is on my Twitter feed, so it's not like I'm hiding it. Yeah. As for yourself, it's your choice if you wish to give away that level of privacy. No, no, I mean, it's just not that. It's just because I'm technically inept and it seems like a lot of hassle putting photos up. But I think by the time we get the podcast up, I will endeavour to put a photo up on something. I'm pretty sure... Where would, I, where would be the best place to put it? On the Delving Into Draft Facebook page? Well, you are a member of Delving Into Draft. Yeah. You're one of the people who like it. So if people click on likes, then I'm pretty sure they should be able to find you. Yeah. You're looking oh. for a guy called Steve. A guy called Steve. Steve Middleton. Indeed. That's my last... Is that the first time I've mentioned my last name on the show? Possibly. I think so. I'm yeah. Craig Mackey, in case people are wondering, although I think that information is also available on my Twitter. Feed. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is something we kind of debated for the very first show, whether to do a introductions-type piece or whether we thought that was kind of the thing that every podcast that ever started started with, the, the obligatory kind of 40-minute introduction yeah, I think to ourselves. Yeah, I think just before our first show, something like five new podcasts came up on MTG Cast. And I just, well, and I, I like listening to new things, so I started listening, and one of them was just 40 minutes of the four hosts or something like that just talking about themselves. And it's just like, yeah, but what are you about? What are you talking about? Like, it's, it's nice to know what you do, but I just didn't want to be front loading all of our listeners that information. I figured people would have an idea of what we're doing by listening yeah. to us. And so figure I, out who we are over time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, how relevant is it to me to say I've only been playing since M12 when we're actually talking about M13 at the moment? Yeah. How relevant is it to know that um, I'm a computer scientist? Yeah. Anyway, should we, should we, it's should interesting, we, I suppose. Sure. Okay, so we've done what we look like. Should we talk about personal things? Yeah, we can do a little bit. Um, a little bit, I suppose. I'm not prepared anything, so where should we start? Uh, okay, so... I first started playing Magic when I was at high school, which was a considerable time ago. Uh, probably in the region about 15, 16 years ago, maybe more. Not sure exactly. But, uh, started off playing, uh, Ice Age kind of 4th edition. Uh, I think my favourite deck at the time was a Necropoints deck or a variation of a Necropoints deck that I'd read in a magazine 
and I'd kind of, I'd like to say templated with what I had, but I probably had just one-offs and two-offs of things, and that deck got played until the cards were worn out, and there was, because we didn't use sleeves back in the day, and uh, I find those cards in my collection now, they're spread out, the deck isn't together anymore, but you can tell them apart from the rest just by looking, because they look kind of grainy and a bit dirty, and they've obviously been put in my school school, uh, trouser pocket with my sweeties and other things. (laughs) I've got some beaten up old cards that are, that bring back memories. Uh, as for, yeah, so how did you get the magic, Craig? Um, well, I had, uh, at primary school, so for those who aren't aware of the British education system, I sort of around the age of 10 and 11, I would have said, I had some friends in the year above me who started playing magic, and I kind of caught on late to magic, so I think it was around 8th edition, beginning a Meriden cycle block yeah. and um, I bought cards but I wasn't playing with them all that often because they were a year above me there was some sort of social separation it's not cool to hang around with the younger kids and but I did buy quite a lot of cards in Meriden I continued buying Kamigawa but at that stage they were at secondary school which was a completely different place so I didn't even see them all that often then so I bought a lot of cards in Meriden and Kamigawa but I wasn't terribly playing at that point, yeah. um, and I was so uh, unaware of how to play the game properly that I didn't realize you could play more than one color. Like everybody I knew only played monocolor decks or artifact decks, and I thought that was the only way you could play. I didn't realize you could like add two different co- kinds of land and have those sort of interactions going on. Yeah, so I'm really mean, novice I... and not really knowing how the game works. Yeah, like I mean. I remember when I first started playing, we had a really limited pool of cards. So what we used to do, like, I traded away every single green card that I owned and got black cards. And I've traded probably every single blue card that I owned. And only had, like, blue, uh, black, red, and... uh, There's another colour. White. White. Only had black, red, and white cards left. And so that's how we kind of got around that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, I remember not playing blue because it was a weird color, and it didn't make sense. So I think I yeah. quite—I was quite—I was a white player basically. But anyway, so I was buying cards around that. I wouldn't really say I was properly playing, and I stopped. Uh, uh, I think in save as a betrayer, savior as a Kamigawa. Anyways, I stopped just before Ravnica, which is really annoying looking back. But oh well, and <laughs> I ended up picking up the game just at the very end of New Phyrexia. I think I bought my first cards. Well, my started buying again cards like a couple of weeks before M12 came out. Yeah. Um, and since then I've been playing pretty solid and I've actually learnt the rules and I yeah. do stuff like look up what sets are coming out and I follow the wizard's website, you know, and I look at other websites. I'm not just playing with friends who haven't properly taught me the rules and not understanding stuff. So that's how I got back into the game or got into the game properly for the first time, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, how do you feel about asking a weekly question to listeners? Um, it sounds like a good idea. I quite yeah. like it. Shall we, shall we come up with a question to ask? No, I think, I think the question should be, how did you, the listener, get into magic? Because yeah. we've spoken about when we started playing and how we got into it. Yeah, we've had our spiel about ourselves. Let's hear about you. Yeah, and let's see what interesting stories come up. And we'll talk about the feedback we got 
next show. Yeah. And then we'll pose you another question and we can have this ongoing discussion. Yeah, and if we don't get any feedback, we'll make up some feedback. <laughs> I suppose we could do that. I'm hoping we'll get feedback. Yeah. At least the person who asked this question should be giving feedback, otherwise I'd be disappointed. Yeah. Right. Would you like to read our question four? Question four. I'm not sure about this question, Craig. If you, what, I what did, are you, what I, are you getting at here? I did say, as part of the thing, um, I would answer any questions assuming the question is appropriate and relevant. Yeah. So if you don't think question four is appropriate or relevant or either. No, no, that's okay. It's good. We also said we'd read out any questions, so here it is. How tall is Steve? <laughs> oh dear. So, uh, the answer to that question is five foot ten inches or 177 centimeters. Done. <laughs> cool. Yay. Right. <laughs> Let's move on to our last question, question five. Are you looking at a new set in limited perspective or constructed? And in both cases, are you looking for synergies, combos, or strong individual cards first? Now, I'm not sure if they're particularly asking about how we as part of the podcast are looking at stuff, yeah. or as individuals. Uh, I'm kind of hoping as a podcast people realise we're looking at this from a limited perspective. We are yeah. a limited podcast specifically focusing on draft more than sealed. Yeah. I mean, I know we don't firmly stick to that. We talk about casual stuff. And, I, of course, I just mentioned modern bannings, which has nothing to do with limited. But. Yeah, but we talk about magic in general, but focusing on draft. I mean, it's, it's okay to um, deviate slightly when it's relevant, but just as long as we don't take up the entire show with it. You know? Yeah. So I'm hope I'm I don't know how to answer this whether this is as a show or as individuals. Uh, are you looking at a new setting? That sounds like he's asking you, Craig. Personally, I have this big blind spot when it comes to constructed play. Like mm. I, I watch P, uh, some GP, some some finals of the GPs or Star City Invitationals. You know, watching some of the final matches of standard and modern games. Yeah. But I don't have the knowledge of the decks that well. I don't have the knowledge of the metagame that well. So. I kind of have this big blind spot when it comes to constructors. Like, if somebody tells me they want to make a Jun deck, I may know some of the cards to put in, but yeah. I don't have that intimate knowledge, and I don't know how Jun plays against matchups. So when I'm looking at stuff, the two formats I'm thinking about personally are are Draft and Commander. Yeah. If I'm I mean, there were some uh, interesting uh, synergies that we spotted at last Friday Night Magic, wasn't there, that uh, went round with... Um the new set. Mm-hmm. The, uh, no, I can't remember the, guy, the guys. There's uh, the one one that never dies, just goes back to your hand. Uh, Dutiful Thrall. No, uh, Mortis Strider, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and there's a black 2-3, I think he is, which you can pay one sacrifice creature and make your opponent mill to a land. And you can continuously sacrifice this guy. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. Who's the, what's he called again, Craig? Oh, he's, uh, yeah, I was playing him. Um, I got it done, done to me. I didn't, I didn't spot this. This was Colin. All credit goes to you on this one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got it done to me. And he also had the, the blue denizen. So he was getting potentially to mill me every time the 1-1 one, one came into play as well, which was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I'm trying to think of other synergies that happened. Oh, Emma was playing against somebody. This is my girlfriend, Emma. And she uh, had the Boros Guild Mage and the White Denizen. And the White Denizen allows you to tap a guy whenever a white creature comes into play and the Guild Mage makes red, white, 1-1 one, one tokens. Yeah. So they come into play, guys, do it multiple times if you want. Just nice little synergies that hadn't quite noticed until we started playing. I'm sure there's more. You know? So are you, do, you, do you spot strong cards then, rather than combos? I think uh, for me to spot combos and things, it needs to be something that I like doing anyway. Like, so... In the last set, I, I, I kind of got all excited about the Psychic Spiral. Uh, doorkeeper. Door, no, not so much Doorkeeper. Psychic Spiral and... Uh, oh, not the, Chronic uh, Flooding. And chronic Flooding, yeah. Chronic oh, Flooding, God. Psychic Spiral, and the artifact that allows you to dig things at your graveyard. Codex Shredder. Yeah, Codex Shredder. And I, I went all in on that several times on Magic Online and a couple of times on... Uh, uh, phrasing it magic, uh, and it's just like when I spot a combo, I get really attached to it. And like, if somebody tells me, if somebody says, "Hey, Steve, check out this," I'll be like, "Oh, that's cool." But if I notice it myself, I kind of feel a little bit of ownership of it slightly. Although I know there's thousands of people around the world who have noticed exactly the same thing and be doing the same thing, I kind of get a little bit attached to it if I spotted it myself without needing to be shown. Because it's not something that I always notice, but when I do notice them, I get this little little thing in my heart that says, you've got to do that, Steve. you spotted that. You've got to do that. And I probably do them more often than I should. But yeah. So what was the question, I guess? <laughs> the question was, when you look at a new set, do you, do you have a limited view on it or a more constructed view on it? Like, Oh yeah, I'm always looking in a more limited perspective. Like, Okay, and then are you looking for synergies, combos, or strong individual cards? But you've, uh, you've, you've kind of answered that, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I look for both, but yeah, looking for, uh, it's usually a case of looking for strong individual cards, but uh, amongst the the uh, commons and uncommons. Like when I think about strong individual cards, I'm thinking about sort of cards I could build a deck around, like the sort of psychic spirals and the spider spawnings, or the like. Well, the decks I was talking about before from Scar- the Scars block, where you can build around a card to make a kind of a quirky sort of gimmick deck rather than uh, what's obviously meant to be a core archetype of the set. That's the things I like looking for. Cool. Right. I think we're out of questions. Hey, a boo. Maybe I should just shut up, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to shut you off because now we're moving on to wrapping up the show. <laughs> oh, that, that does get a boo. I was enjoying speaking to you, Craig. Oh, thank you. I'm touched. Right, anyways. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to start calling you Blue Eyes. That's fine. No, <laughs> seriously, if you go find me on Facebook and you click on my picture, the first comment is, ah, Craigie Blue Eyes. But most of the time it's Mickey Blue Eyes. But anyways. Was, was that your mum? No. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay, okay. Anyways. Thank you to the listeners for listening. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so via Tumblr, where you can ask us questions, Facebook, where you can look at my wonderful, dazzling blue eyes, Gmail, where you can email us, and Twitter, where you can abuse me, I guess. Your host for this week were me, Craig, and you, Steve. Yay! That's me! (laughs) He caught me off guard! Yay, Steve! (laughs) 
<laughs> the intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is a cannery and is royalty music licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. You can find more of Kevin's work at incomputech.com. Additional music was from the album Ghosts 1 through 4 by Nine Inch Nails, which is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial Share Alike license. You can find out more about Nine Inch Nails at www.nin.com. Mm-hmm.